0: If you have your Bibles, find 1 Thessalonians 5.16. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. I'm going to talk fast. You're going to listen fast, right? We're going to just share a nugget with you tonight that's really going to help you. We have alluded to it these last couple services, and I just want to make sure it's appropriately sewed into you. You know, some of you have been with me for numbers of years, and so you've You've heard a lot of instruction, and hopefully there's been help in all of that. I tend to forget that um, some of you have not been around that long, and so it's good to go and repeat. Because uh, number one is there could be something really important in there that, that you might not have heard and missed. And uh, we need to make sure that's established in you. You know, I'm kind of... The reason I have to remind myself to do that is because I'm the kind of guy... Traces is exactly the same way. I mean, we, we want something fresh out of the oven all the time. We're not going to give you something every five years. And you're going to say, Oh, yeah, I remember when Pastor talked about that five years ago because I got five years worth of sermons and I just kind of repeat them every five years. I don't do that. Um, I mean, every week... It's, it's fresh. There may be something in there that you've heard before, maybe a story I've told before, but I can assure you uh, we do our best to make sure we're getting what God's saying. But I am going to share something tonight, which is an exception to that rule because it's Thanksgiving and it's something important. And I want to make sure all of you get it because it will literally revolutionize your life. In First Thessalonians five, beginning with verse 16, it says this rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Say that with me. Say in everything. Now, it didn't say for everything, did it? It said in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. And then verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Now, these are short bullet point statements. You know, for years I thought they were sort of independent of each other. I thought that maybe they were just these bullet points that Paul was throwing out here and, and they didn't have much to do with each other. But the longer that I've studied them and read them over and over again through the years, I began to see that they're intricately intertwined with each other. In fact, I believe you can't truly understand what's being communicated here unless you look at it all together. Because as I begin to look at this and I just begin to look at verses 16, 17, and 18, I say to myself, how do you do that? How do you rejoice always? I mean, I don't know that I rejoice over 9-11. I don't know that I would rejoice if I was in the middle of a divorce. I don't think there's anything to rejoice about if, if you're in an abusive situation or somehow you've been wounded or some injustice or unfairness came to your life. I mean, how do you rejoice always? So that's the first question. How do you rejoice always? And then it says, pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? I work. I don't know about you. I do work. Even though I'm serving the Lord, I do work. You know, you can't be on your knees constantly. I can't, I, you know, for some of us, we run out of things to say in about 60 seconds. I mean, how do you pray without ceasing? I mean, I can barely go a minute or two. So how do you do that? And then finally, how do you give thanks in everything? I mean, it doesn't say for everything. That's very important. But rather, in everything, give thanks. And there's a clue, I believe, to these verses. Because the reason we get this exhortation from Paul On these verses is because to do these, we're going to have to understand the spirit, what I call the spirit's prophetic activity in our life and in these things. That's why it says in verse 19, don't quench the spirit. Now, listen to me. This is very important. If we don't know how to rejoice, always listen, you'll quench the spirit. If you don't know how to pray without ceasing, you could quench the spirit. If you don't know how and everything to give thanks, you could quench the spirit. There's, there's something very important that Paul's trying to tell us here. And in verse 20, I think he wraps it all up by saying, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now listen, again, just get this. i got to do this real quick. So when you learn how to rejoice always, when you learn how to in everything give thanks and to pray without ceasing, I believe within you as a believer, you're stepping into a prophetic activity of the Holy Spirit that can work to your advantage if you understand what God is trying to do to do now prophecy prophecy uh you know sometimes we hear the word prophecy and we automatically think oh pastor's going to talk about all that second coming last last times and time stuff well prophecy doesn't mean just that we're going to get taught on the book of the revelation but prophecy literally means a declaration of the heart or the intention of god so like here this evening when when uh Uh, I asked Shirley to come out, and there was a word that came over Shirley, and Amy came out, and there was a word over Amy. Or literally, even when, when Tracy's praying for folks over here, when we're laying hands on people, do you understand? That's a prophetic moment where God's heart or intention is literally being declared over you. In other words, you're beginning to hear, whether it be through prayer or just a brief Uh, uh, laying on of hands or whether, you know, you're, you're, you're pulled out sometime somewhere and and a lengthier word is given to you. There is a declaration that's happening of God's heart or intention towards you as one of his children. And, you know, not all of us are prophets and I'm not going to go through the whole deal about what's the difference between a prophet and all this stuff. We'll leave that for another time, but you just need to get this. Every believer has the ability to make prophetic declarations. You have the ability out of your mouth to begin to declare the intention or the heart of God. Now, the reason this is important, uh, and I believe I I may have put it on the screen, I hope I did, because a prophetic declaration is more than information. I mean, it's neat kind of to hear what God's up to, isn't it, if you get a prophetic word. I mean, that's kind of neat to kind of hear what God's up to and what he's saying to you. But it's more than information, It's more than confirmation. You know, I've grown up in the renewal movement for a lot of years, and I've listened to this taught, and I don't disagree with it, but it's not quite the whole truth. I've heard people say, if if you get a prophetic word, it should only confirm what's already in your heart. Well, I believe that a lot of times words are confirming, and that's a wonderful thing when it confirms. But I've always said this. There comes a moment in all our lives when we hear something for the first time. I mean, I mean, sometimes you got to hear it for the first time, and, and, and so while it could confirm things, I do think there are moments you can hear something maybe you've never heard for the first time, and when you hear it for the first time, I believe that there's a creative aspect to it. So when God sends His Word, creation takes place. Now you know that, don't you? All you have to do is read the first chapter of Genesis, and that's true, isn't it? God spoke, and what? A world happened. He didn't roll up his sleeves and stick his hands into some primordial goo somewhere and just earth. That's not what he did. He spoke and everything came into existence. It didn't matter whether it was the universe or whether it was what we see on the earth. He spoke and it came into existence. And the reason being is because his word or when his word is spoken, there's creative ability to it. Now, come on, don't. Don't be lost on this because I'm going to help you here because your, what comes out of your mouth can literally create your future. Some of, your, you're living, some of you are living right now what you've spoken. Don't blame anyone else but your own confession. If you can get a revelation of this, you can begin to put into motion your very future by what you declare. In Isaiah 48, there's some great verses here. Let me read through these real quick. I, uh, Isaiah 48, uh, verse 3. Ah, it says this. I have declared, this is the Lord speaking, I've declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly, I did them and they came to pass. Isn't that a nice verse? Because God says, I spoke something, I declared it, and then it came, it happened. I like that verse. Jump to verse 5. Even from the beginning, I have declared it to you before it came to pass. Underline this before it came to pass. What I, I proclaimed it or I spoke it to you, lest you should say my idol has done them. My carved image and my molded image have commanded them. So what he said was, I'm going to make sure you know that this is me. I'm going to have this thing spoken. And when it comes to pass, you'll know it's me because I spoke it in advance. Verse 6, you have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. So in verse 6, he's saying, I'm going to talk to you about some things that you've never seen, that you've never heard, that you've never, uh, you know, even thought of you've never even gone down that alley you've never even thought that could happen to you but God says things that you don't know I'm going to speak to you and then in verse 7 it says they are created when now and not from the beginning and before this day you have not heard them lest you should say of course i knew them now listen this is what he's literally saying here he's saying i'm going to speak some things they're going to be declared to you and when that word goes out it's not like this thing was destined to happen you know there's a lot of interesting theology that begins to creep up in the in the christian church and and there are some people who have such a view of sovereignty and providence that they think anything that happens just must have happened and that was that was you know sort of of, of providentially or predestined to happen in your life. So, you know, you're walking in the street and a car hits you. Boom. Oh, God must've willed that from the foundations of the world. He knew I was going to get run over by that car. No, not, not necessarily. You say, you tell me God didn't know that I'm not, I'm not suggesting what God does and doesn't know. I'm simply suggesting this to you. I believe that there are things that God wants to do in your life that he's waiting to see whether or not you will believe it, you will confess it, and you will obey when he says to move in it. I do believe that. And so you've got to understand that, that it all starts with our confession and our declaration And I'm going to get back to rejoicing on all of this. But here's the key thoughts. Before something comes to pass, it has to be declared. Secondly, you can hear something new from God. Not just confirming something, but it could be new. And then probably you need to wait for some confirmation. And then number three, things do not exist until they are spoken. Now, I'm going to go through these three examples real fast. If you've never read the story of Balaam in the book of Numbers, he's a great story to read. He's a prophet. He, 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 he's, he, he, is, uh, he is solicited by Balak, an evil king, to speak a curse against the armies of Israel because the king knows that whatever Balaam says comes to pass. And so he tries to sort of bribe him into speaking defeat over the army. Now, Balaam ends up being this really, this, this unethical character. But the point of the story is very simply this, that Balaam had the ability to say things. And when they were spoken, people had confidence that they would come to pass, even if it was unrighteous things, even if he was being bribed, Balaam had an ability to be able to speak and it happened. I'm going to tell you something right now. We we have that same ability. And as I mentioned before, some of us have spoken negativity and failure. We We have spoken demise and destruction. We have spoken so many things into existence. And then when it happens to us, we aren't jumping up and down saying, hallelujah, miracle working power. Because I spoke defeat and I'm defeated. Hallelujah. See, we never think of it in those terms, do we? But we need to understand that for a lot of us, we're living what we have spoken. And I can tell you in our house, we've had to wrestle with this because the carnal nature always wants to pull you back into carnal natural ways. And so it takes great diligence and perseverance to keep our confession moving the right direction. give you another example. Joshua. You remember Joshua going through the land, securing destiny for the Israelites? There came a moment when the day was running out and he didn't have enough sunlight in order to defeat the enemy. And you know what Joshua did? He looked at the sun and he said what? He said, sun, stand still. Now, I understand if you're an astronomer, you'll go, the sun doesn't rotate around the earth. Okay, Joshua wasn't an astronomer. But maybe God didn't need his precision at that point. All he knew was is that that sun seemed to move and now it needs to stop. So God miraculously moves upon that confession and and, and they're given more daylight in order to rout the enemy. How did that happen? It happened because... There was a confession that took place. Come on. Jesus, Jesus spoke to things. He spoke to the elements. He spoke to the wind and to the rain and told them, cease, be calm. He spoke to trees and they withered up. He spoke to sickness and disease. He even spoke to dead people. He, he let Lazarus, Lazarus lay in the grave for four days, a couple days longer than everybody wanted him to, but he was trying to make a point. So he let Lazarus lay in the grave, comes along, and all he says is these words, Lazarus, come forth, and out comes the mummy. And then he looks and he says, the works that I do, you shall do. And greater works than these, is that not mind-boggling? Now hear me, the point that's being made here is this. God wants to show off more in our life But he's waiting for us to speak when we don't speak, when we don't declare his heart, when we don't declare his intentions, when we don't do this, the scripture tells us we grieve or we quench his spirit now here's the deal. Let's go back to how do you do these things? How do you rejoice? How do you give thanks and everything? Let me give you the greatest example. And I'm going to end with this. And we have just a few minutes left in the book of Acts. Everybody turn quickly. It's just a short little lesson tonight. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to help you see something here that really helped me and will help you and will, and will link us into what it means to be thankful. Because how do I give thanks in everything? It didn't say for everything. Because how many of you know, God forbid if, if I were to lose a loved one or God forbid if some calamity came into my life. I mean, am I supposed to be thankful for calamity? Am I supposed to be thankful uh, for what's taken place? Is this what I'm supposed to be thankful for? That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says rejoice always and in everything give thanks. So let's say, hear me now. You're in calamity. You're in a problem. You're in a difficult situation that you're looking at saying, how can I'm not going to give thanks for this? Okay, don't give thanks for that. But we're going to learn right now. How do you give thanks in that? Okay, that's what we're going to learn. Acts 16, 16. I'm going to kind of read and tell you the story to save time. Apparently, Paul and Silas are uh, are going... uh, through, I think, the Macedonian area. And they run into this slave girl who the, the scripture says is possessed by a demon. It's the spirit of divination. And she's doing this fortune telling. And apparently, she must be pretty good at it, making her owners a lot of money. Everybody's happy, but along comes Paul and Silas. And the girl in verse 17 screams out and says, These are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, let me stop there. Was she right? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Psychics can be right. Accuracy is not the issue. It's the spirit of which that is generated is the issue. In fact, it says that she did this for many days in verse 18, which is interesting to me because Paul didn't pick up on this instantly. There there were several days. He, He kind of watched this thing for a while. That helps me. Because even Paul had to sort of evaluate, kind of discern things. And then it says he was greatly annoyed. Now what that means is, in his spirit, he was beginning to get a little twisted. And he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And that spirit came out, and then what happened was, all Gehenna broke loose. I mean, all of a sudden, the masters lost their income. They were upset. They seized Paul and Silas. They drugged them in front of a magistrate. Uh, They were accused of of, uh, starting trouble in the city. And a multitude, it says in verse 22, rose up against them. And and, and the magistrate commanded that they be beaten with rods. Can you imagine? You just delivered somebody from a devil. And what do you get out of it? A whooping. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Can Can we all agree? Unfair. Unfair. And it says, verse 23, when they laid many stripes on them, threw them into prison. So now they're in prison because they delivered this girl from a demon. Can we say unjust? Yeah, man. And it says that they were to be kept in there securely. And it says, having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. So here they are. Listen to me. They're in the middle of a bad situation. It's terrible. They were doing what was right, But now all of a sudden it's turned on him. How can you rejoice when you're in the middle of unfairness and injustice? You're in the middle of something that's been turned on you. You say to yourself, there ain't nothing good going on here. I can't even see God in this situation. I'm just, I am just—I was trying to do the work of God, but here I am in the middle of all this. And you can hear what most people's confession would be. Why did I even try to do that? I should have just left that girl hanging with the devil. If she wanted to be demon-possessed, I should have just let her alone and just let her keep being demon-possessed. I've got myself in trouble. I'm probably out of the will of God. You can hear what most people's confession would have been, but look at what they do. Verse 25. But at midnight. Now, I don't know about you, but I go to bed now about 10 o'clock. That's what happens when you turn 50. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So the dude's about ready to commit suicide. But Paul in verse 28 called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we're all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He tells them in verse 31, Believe on Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. Now here, they're speaking again. And all who were in his house, and he took... Of them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, I want I, this is the whole point of the story. It's this: they're in the middle of a calamitous, unjust, unfair situation. It's not right. There's nothing really to look at in the situation to be thankful for. But here's what they do: First Thessalonians five sixteen. They rejoice always. They rejoice always. They pray without ceasing. And in everything, what? Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Don't give thanks that you're, that you're in the jail. In other words, you don't have to give thanks for the jail. But in everything, give thanks. Now, here's what I believe was going on. You can, you can write your own story, but this is what I believe is going on. I believe they're sitting in there just praising God. They're just saying, Hallelujah, you're a great God. They're probably singing a Hillsong song song is what they were doing They were, Yeah, man, they were maybe Chris Tomlin. He's the God of the city. And he's just singing away. And all of a sudden they're singing, and he's the God that opens prison doors. And I thank you that these doors will open and we're going to come out. And I thank you that through this, many will come to know your great name. And I am doing your will no matter where I'm at. And I'm going to keep rejoicing because you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to a purpose. And you are the God of breakthrough. And you always break through at just the right time and just the right moment. It may be midnight and we don't have a candle. but we rejoice in you. And we give thanks even now, and suddenly the doors open. And not only do they get out of their predicament, they get the jailer saved on the way out. Is that not amazing? Now, listen to me. This is the part I'm going to leave you with. It's easy to give thanks at Thanksgiving for all that God has done, sure it is. We're going to stand around tables and we may give thanks and someone may pray and they'll offer up gratitude to God. And these things are good and they are right and they are in order and it is what we should do. But I want to share this with you, and it's this. If you'll begin to give thanks in everything and begin to say, Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord, that for whatever reason I'm here, but I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to make my own little song. I'm going to be faithful while I'm here because you're with me. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. But you're the God who opens doors that no man can close. And you will close doors that no man can open. And you've got a door for me. Hallelujah. Because you know a song needs to rhyme a little bit. Are you following me? And you know what happens when God hears that song come up? He starts going Suddenly, suddenly, I can begin to move. I tell you, even as I was doing this, I gotta stop now at 7:30. But I started doing this. Even as I was writing my notes today, I was going, Thank you, Lord, that you created oak trees. But there's an oak tree in your road. And that oak tree is going to come down. Thank you, Lord. Timber in the spirit. And suddenly, God can begin to do that. How many of you need a suddenly? Come on now. How many really need a sudden? I need a suddenly. Stand with me, will you?